Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, hello, everybody. This is Script Shop. Welcome to Script Shop. My name is Jack. My name is Allison. And I wore a dinosaur costume <laughs> yesterday. You know those inflatable T-Rex uh, costumes? Tiny arms. Yeah. Big head oh, and little oh, arms. I was, doing, I was making as many Meet the Robinsons references oh, as I could. Oh, I love that movie so much. I uh, have a very strong emotional feeling about those inflatable tyrannosaurus. Why? I just love them. I think they're the most amazingly wonderful costume invention like, of the last 20 years. Specifically the T-Rex ones. Yeah, because they're just funny. Like anything yeah. anybody is doing in them, especially if it's like mundane stuff, right. is a riot. Speaking of mundane stuff, we mm-hmm. had somebody um, from my office, my day job, mm-hmm. wear one of those to work a couple of Halloweens ago. Nice. And it was amazing watching him like walk to the copier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the up. office dinosaur. I think he made a point of like dropping stuff off at people's desks that day because he was just shuffling around mm-hmm. and his head's bouncing above the cubicles. Yeah. It was great. I might have been involved in some low-level property damage <laughs> involving this costume. <laughs> All I'm going to say is if you're going to uh, wear an inflatable dinosaur costume, just know that that tail oh boy. is like more of a problem than you would expect yeah uh, yeah there's a planter that didn't survive me spinning around uh also memories scarred forever watching little redheaded jack peek at them gleefully from inside a dinosaur <laughs> right uh what's the breathing situation like in those things not bad at all nope i was i was very comfortable i enjoyed it very much hi this is script shop by the uh, way we gotta stay on topic here we talk to screenwriters about their scripts and uh movies and things that they would like to Produce yeah. and have made and get noticed. And uh, that's why we're here today. Our guest today is Aaron Cardiff. Yes. Who has written a script called Fourth of July. Right. Which is a, how many? 95 oh. page true com- true crime feature based on the Bear Brook murders. Yeah. Ooh. No, this, was, this script Bear is Brooke. like, I don't want to say grim, but it's, it's intense and there's yeah. a lot of emotions. Yeah. And you're... It, 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 it's very, it's, a, it's tr- a true crime murder. Yeah, it's a true crime. It is grisly. Thing. And yeah, that's very clever <laughs> reference for later on when we're reading a selection from this script. Yep. Uh, speaking of reading things, yes. uh, are you reading anything? Yes. Currently? Uh, I, Allison, am, I am reading Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine mm-hmm. by Gail Honeyman. Mm. Uh, I love it. That sounds like a fake name. I thought so too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be a pen name. Right. Right. Like Jack Crumley doesn't yeah, sound like that could possibly be your real name. Hector Aloysius <laughs> is obviously my real name. Uh, Everybody knows that. I really love Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. It's like this kind of, I don't know, over over characterized in a great way. Like mm-hmm. um, big characters dealing with some personal issues that you don't realize are like actual character flaws oh, until cool. three fourths of the way in the book. And suddenly you're like. Oh, she's unraveling here. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, I think it's also 
it's not an American story, so it's overseas, and it's just really fun. Cool. Yeah. What about you? What are you reading? Uh, well, I've, our mutual friend, uh, Diana, is just finishing up the first of the Patrick Rothfuss Name of the Wind books, yes. the Kingkiller Chronicle. Ah. Uh, and I am getting back into wanting to refresh myself on that, because I assume at some point, Mr. Rothfuss, if you're putting that third book out that right. we've been waiting for for quite a while... We're going to have him on the show, of course. I mean, sure, of course. <laughs> but anyway, I'm I, I, I'm trying to remember more about uh, the way those books were. Those are an excellent series of books. They're long and they're great and mm-hmm. uh, very much enjoy, very much looking forward to the third one when it comes out. That's cool. Um, well, and listeners, if you're interested in us reading what you are writing, because we, we love to read, um, then you should send in your scripts to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Scriptshopshow.com mm-hmm. is where you can go online to check out these sweet pictures we have of us up there. <laughs> uh, they're hilarious and wonderful. And you can also check out all of our writers who yes. are way more exciting and all the work that they're putting out there, which is incredible. So get online, check them out, check out their scripts, and then submit your script to scriptshopshow.com. Dot com slash submit. And we're also all over uh, other parts of the internet, including uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Script Shop Show on all of those social media platforms. You can check us out. Also, real quick, special thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for providing us with the facilities thank you. in which we are speaking to you from today. Yes, thank you very much. And with that... We're moving on to Aaron. Without further ado... Da, 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 da. Aaron Cardiff, hi. Hello. Yay. How are you? I am good. How are you guys? Doing very well, thank you. Very fun. Uh, let's see, Sunday evening, loopy, happy. Yeah, all the good stuff, I guess. Aaron, very where good. are we? Where are we talking to you from? Where Where are um, you talking to us from? <laughs> I am in a town called Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Oh yeah, Ontario. Yeah, um, it's right for uh, American um, geography people. Mm-hmm. People who are aware of American geography, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, right at the top of Michigan. Cool. Okay. Is right where that is. Where it's a twin city, so there's a Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Michigan, and a Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Ooh. And I was born here and raised here. And um, this is sort of holiday time, so um, I'm home and hanging out with family and seeing how things are going. And lots of snow and lots Ooh, of lights. That sounds and nice. Lots of cookies and lots of snuggling up with murder books. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of. Uh, I'll be totally honest with you. A lot of um, BuzzFeed unsolved. I'm, I've become, I, this is insane, and I admit it. I've become obsessed with, um, I'm, like, I'm trying to keep my entertainment really light and happy because, like, the state of the world won and the state of things that I write, which I'm sure we'll talk a little more about. But um, I'm trying to keep my entertainment really light. And there's mm-hmm. BuzzFeed has put out this very cool show called Unsolved where there's two guys, and, and they do some true crime stuff, and they do some paranormal stuff, and mm. they're just, like, sweet, lovable goofballs who are, like, wandering around learning about these things, like Bigfoot and the assassination of President Kennedy. And they sound like really heavy topics, but then they kind of cover them in this, like, 15-minute block. And you're like, yay, I feel a little bit slightly informed and a little bit better that the world is not a pit of fire right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very much with you on trying to keep my entertainment light. I avoid avoid downers. Like, I know that The Handmaid's Tale show that Hulu has right now is supposed to be fantastic, but it feels like too much of a downer to me, and I don't want to do it. Oh, I I hear you totally. Like, um, it was, Handmaid's Tale's been shooting in Toronto, and Mm. um, I know a lot of people who are working on it. I'm, I'm, you know, vaguely aware of most of the creative team and whatever, and I'm just like, I, you know, I've, I've tried, I've forced myself to watch a bit of it, and I'm just like, I do really like it, and I, but, you know, I remember studying that when I was in school, because I, I don't think, 
again, in American school, I don't think they force you to read Canadian writers, but in Canada, they're kind of insistent on that. Yeah, good. So uh, <laughs> we studied a lot of Margaret Atwood, and yeah. I remember just raging at that book, just like throwing it on the ground, being like, oh, she can write, but man, this sucks, and patriarchy, and burn it all down. And, <laughs> and yeah, funny, it's funny, like, we're t- many years later, and nothing is, <laughs> well, it's, you know... Uh-huh. Nothing's changed. Everything's changed. I have no idea. I'm, I'm going to pretend I don't know. Well, that's that's so scary because um, what's the uh, what's the other one? Oh my gosh, I, this is like my mom's favorite book, mm. and I can't remember what it's called right now. But basically, it was written a million years ago. It has to do with the bur- book burning, where they like oh, what is it called? You're talking about 1984. Yes, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Fahrenheit 451, one of the big things they do is talk about like everybody being on screens all the time. Right. And you read that book, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> right. this is my current world. How was does this guy time travel? Does yeah. he? You know exactly. And Mark yeah. Atwood, all of her work is really similar. Like, I mean, they just made Alias Grace as well. Oh right. yeah. Um, and again, it's it's I, I haven't seen too much of it. It's really heavy duty, but it's like you know Sarah Pauly wrote most of it I think or all of it and it's just it's so good and it's so there's so many great layers to it and the performances are great and everybody's great but you just like I'm like I need to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> exactly <laughs> I need to watch Blackish. I need like I'm, I'm basically living on um, com- I'm even like I love um, Punisher. Punisher is kind of my favorite superhero guy, wow. and John Bernthal is the Punisher. Like, there's never been a better sort of cast, creative sort of melding. That it's he is the greatest actor. Like, he was born and bred and raised to do that part, and I'm having to force myself to like sit and watch it because it's just it's it's great, but it's so dense and so, so punishing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Without you know pun intended, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's. It's dark and I love it, but it's like, oh, I can only stand so much of it. Yeah. So, uh, you talking about writing in your little bio for us? You call yourself a writer and then also a filmmaker. Are there certain things that you like to write more than other things? This script, I don't want to call what the script that you wrote as macabre, but I mean, it's it's a grisly true crime thing. What sort of writing do you like to do? I I found myself really drawn to. Um, thrillers in general I like I I find they kind of get a bit darker because I don't sort of pitch them up with so much action necessarily I mean it depends um on the story but this is like I've I've never touched true crime before I've never Mm. I've done a couple of adaptations I've looked at some you know true stories before and whatever but this this is intensely dark even for me Mm -hmm. and um I just it was the kind of thing that I was like writing other things like I had finished just to give sort of a larger context um the script before this um was also a thriller and it it involved sort of a few bad things but it was not nearly this densely dark and um I was trying to sort of decide what to do after and I was like oh I want to do something more sci-fi I want to do something more I might want to go back and do like a female-led western but that ended up involving cannibals <laughs> and then <laughs> you just, I just sort of was like I want to get away from things that are a little bit darker and then this idea while I was researching some other things the the actual true factual case kind of landed on my my desk and I was like oh this is awful why doesn't everyone in the world know about this and um it kind of sat at the bottom of the pile for a while and as I was trying to explore a bunch of other ideas that all ended up fizzling out, um, this one was just kind of 
bugging me to be like, write me next, write me next. And I just, I had to kind of, kind of close my eyes and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I did a lot of research on it and I kept trying to find an excuse to put it aside, but it kind of kept bothering me. So I had yeah. to kind of keep going with it. But yeah, but in terms of overall writing, I, I like, I like thrillers. I like genre films. I'm very much a genre person in terms of the content I like to kind of watch and things that I, I generally enjoy. And I find that that's kind of the things out of the things that I've written. I really, the genre pieces are my favorite. When did you start writing? Um, I started writing professionally a long time ago. It was millions of billions of years ago. I, oh. I believe it was before, like, the Big Bang happened. I don't know. It was a long time ago. <laughs> okay. Um, come on. This is a good guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you agreed yeah. to come on our show. She's calling us from, like, years I'm, I'm in the future. I yeah. years old. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> no, light years are not. I was reading about that somewhere the other night where, like, light years, that's ignorant because light years are a measurement of distance, distance. and not time. But anyway, never mind. <laughs> too nerdy, too nerdy. Move away, move away. Um, but, uh, yeah, going. I started as a, it, it's a, I had a really weird roundabout career. Um, I started as a teenager. I had a job. I got a job very early on working for a local newspaper. Like, I grew up in a small town, and they tried all kinds of wacky things. And newspapers still existed then, so that should give you an idea that it was, this happened, like, 17 centuries ago. So um, I I was working for them for a while. I stayed in media. I wrote about music for a while and and then branched out into different sort of corporate gigs and things. And I had, um, you know, a steady, respectable job that involved writing and content for many years, a string of years at a few different places. And I just got really burnt out, I guess. Mm -hmm. I got sort of, I got to the point, like, the, the the thing that's sort of exploding around um, media right now with sort of like gender equality and, and all of that, the fact that all of this is at the forefront in the last, just in the last few months, um, is something that's been ongoing. I mean, every woman knows this, but it's been ongoing since the, the dawn of time. And, and it was sort of such a pressure. I've always been in very male-dominated environments, and it was such a pressure on me to be this sort of content person who was had a lot of skill and was very secure in my job but not taken very seriously and and that ate away at me at a point where maybe I guess it was about five years ago that I said um I had started sort of dabbling in screenplays as mm-hmm. like because uh, I like the format I like the structure I'm a very structure oriented person in writing anyway in life probably not as much but um yeah and I I, I just really enjoyed I started kind of playing around with it, and I, I started pulling ideas together and thought, wow, like, I, I this is the most I've enjoyed my job yeah. in probably almost all of the time I've been writing professionally, so I want to just right. explore this and see how it goes, and if I hate it or if, I mean, I've honestly, it, this was about five years ago, so I honestly thought I was going to write one script and hate it by the end <laughs> and hate the process and hate everything about it and go back and get a job at, like, some with some other corporate entity who, who was going to you know pay me okay and give me a job and a desk. So and did you quit your day job to to just I, start I, writing? I did. I had good for I you. Sort of at the the end of um, I did something super crazy, and I'm not advocating this for any kids at home. Don't try this. No, kids definitely. <laughs> whatever she's about to say now, definitely do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is not. I do not endorse this. Um, it may work out for you, but it may not work out for you. So like, I can't. I can't put my 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 stamp approval on this. 
I was so done with, like, I didn't know if I was going to keep writing. I didn't know. I knew I was really enjoying screenwriting. And I lived, I was living, I should say, I was living in Toronto at the time, which is the, like, most expensive city, one of the most expensive cities in Canada, one of the most expensive cities in North America. It's crazy expensive. And I had, I had a whole macabre backstory to this, but I had bought a place like after many years of working and saving all my money and all this, and I had bought a place. And everything just kind of went wrong in a very short span of time. And I went, oh, I need to not do any of these things. And I sold the house, and I uprooted my entire life, and I quit all my jobs, and I just got out of Dodge. Like, it was was the most drastic thing I had done since I was, like, a teenager and decided that I was going to go and live and work and do my own thing. And, And... I I wasn't expecting to kind of make that move at that moment. Mm-hmm. It was just. Did you just find yourself like living a life you didn't want, or did you murder somebody, yeah. or did you get out of a relationship, <laughs> or you know what was it? As far as I know, I didn't murder anyone. Um, <laughs> just to get that out of the way. Um, no, but I, what it really was, it was a com- like. Uh, not to give you the long, I'll try and give you the most condensed version possible. I mean, honestly, we're totally interested. So you yeah. gotta tell us what you gotta tell us. It's it's so boring though. But um, it's a, it was a combination of of a couple of things. One is that, like, obviously living in Toronto, I lived on my own, so I was having to work. Con- like, there was at one point I had five jobs at the same time. Yeah. And that didn't last very long because, of course, you will die. Um, yes. But I at Almost the entire time I lived there, I was working at least two or three jobs. I was working, working, working constantly. I had friends that I liked, but I had started having a couple of falling out with, like falling out type situations with friends that I'd had for long periods of time who lived in the city. Like my my long distance friends were still cool and good and I could go and see them. But it was a matter of like having no money, having no time, um, starting to feel like you had no friends. And then this place... This is the most random thing, and again, this never happens to anybody. But the place I bought a I bought a condo, and the condo uh, flooded, and of course, all of my money, all of my life savings, everything is in this this thing, and it's now literally like evaporating in front of my eyes. Oh, like this boy. is the day that I I took possession of Ugh. it. It had flooded just prior to me taking possession, and because the previous person had had not maintained it, and blah blah whatever. Oh jeez. And so I'm walking into this, I'm supposed to have this brand new life, I'm supposed to be happy, I have this great job with a, a respected company, and I have friends, and I have this whole wonderful life to look forward to, and it, I'm literally walking in the door as it's melting in front of my face. <laughs> yeah, so you, you walk in, and you're like, uh, no, I don't want, no, 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 exactly. no, 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 it's, it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back yeah. right there. Totally. And it was just, like, I just launched into, like, a hysterical sort of white noise that I had never sort of felt. Because, I mean, it was the first time in my adult life where, like, I I felt like everything had converged. I'd had some real problems when I was sort of a teenager. Um, And, of course, every teenager has real problems, let's be honest. But this was the first time where I just had no, like, everything was happening to me. And I really had very little control. And I felt like I had less than no control over anything. And I was just like, it was like, do not want, and just like shutting the, like the door wouldn't even shut, <laughs> the hilarious, ironic thing, the door wouldn't shut because it was warped. So yeah. I was like, oh, I want to get out I'm of here. I'm shutting like, the door on this and you couldn't. Right, You exactly. slam and it and bounces I, back open. 
Like the worst metaphor ever. Like you can't get in, you can't get out. And and again, like just my brain just was like, you you need to figure out what you're going to do here. And I mean that happened. Like that wasn't the the day that I kind of threw everything in, but that was the. I, I sort of at that moment I was like, I need to be a responsible adult. I need to buckle down. I need to sue somebody, and I need to to fix this thing, and I need to move on and and do all my adult things. And I just sort of felt myself like if you know and i and looking back i realized those weren't adult things those were things that happened and i still had choices and i couldn't make them like i didn't step back long enough for a second to be like oh my god i should do something else right now um and then i as i was just losing interest in that whole life i I actually i went i booked myself a trip to las vegas randomly i went to a screenplay conference because i wanted to see if this was work that I could get into and, and like a frame of mind I could get into because I had felt so lost. And and I went to this great conference with great sort of writing mentors and went, okay, well, this is this is the future. The past is over. I've got to wrap it all up and get out of Dodge. And What was the first script you wrote right after coming out of that? Um, the first script after that was, oh, my gosh, I think I did a really – I have a really – an adaptation of this weird sci-fi public domain thing that I love a lot um, that I think was probably what came out of that. It was it was a lot about world building in cities. The funny thing yeah. is the first first script I ever really wrote is a is in a veiled way. Like if you didn't know anything about that story that I just told you, you would read that script in an entirely one way. Um, it was a script called The Other Side and that script is totally about that period in my life that I didn't, that I couldn't make a decision between um, like what way the world should be for me. And it ended up, it, I sort of funneled it into like a male protagonist, assuming that like I could get him to take his shirt off whenever I wanted and I could have him do like he would be more powerful and he could take control and he could make these decisions kind of for me. And I, and again, looking back at the time, I was just like, this is what I want to write. But um, looking back on it, I realized fully that I was I was tra- I channeled that whole era into yeah. one that one story that ended up, and I and instead of it was forcing it into the choice between like life and death because for me like I didn't understand what my life would be like without the life that I had built all of those years in yeah. Toronto and I'm I'm so glad that that's not the life that I have anymore just because I needed to make a transition and it it's. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't make the money I used to make and I don't have the life I used to have, but all those things are positive things. It's not, yeah. you know, I see my family a lot more and I, right. I have a lot more peace and, and more calm. ownership of your life. Yeah, exactly. And I, exactly. And I can, I can make choices. I, tr- I kept saying, oh, you know, I'm going to travel, I'm going to do this. And I never did it. And now I, I do a lot more of it and I see a lot, I see my friends more. I'm, I'm a happier person to deal with. I'm, you know, like everything about me kind of improved other than like the material things, which I never really cared about in the first place. Nice. So. so that being said, with the idea of the, the, the personal connection you have to your work, this script that uh, you sent in to us, 4th of July, uh, about this unsolved murder of a young woman and her three daughters, 
Uh, it, well, it's, I mean, it's debatable whether or not they're actually. Oh, talk, well, that's true. Are you talking about the real crime or the script? Well, just the uh, Yeah, the script. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Then t- I take back. See what I just said. It's okay. Just I, I, I want to just talk about this script here and where, what is the personal? Do you have a personal connection with this? Because yeah. like and, you said, and could you a, talk about the murder too? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the. The reality is, it's funny because, again, a lot of the feedback that I'm getting back from it is like, wow, this feels very personal. It feels like you you have a very personal connection to this. And I really, like, I don't. Other the, the, the thing that I think I plugged into, like, I don't have a personal connection to the 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 area or the people or what like the, the actual mise en scène, I guess. Mm-hmm. What I, I found that, like kind of reflecting on it what it is that kind of drew me into it and wouldn't let me kind of leave it alone um was the fact that these i mean her the story that i ended up constructing for the protagonist is essentially the story that i feel like a lot of women go through in their day-to-day lives without the sort of impending danger and the horrible sort of outcome Mm -hmm. i think um it just it felt it ended up feeling very representative to me of the fact that um, um, women just have these the, these challenges that that are invisible to other people. Like the, the, there are certain job things. There are certain. I, I, I it came to me as sort of a series of moments, like these humiliating, horrible things. Like some of those things I've seen happen. Some of those things I, I know of incidents that have happened. Some of them, like. I'm I'm a step removed from a lot of it. I I didn't grow up in her situation. I I didn't I don't have that life experience. But it's a situation where I just felt so strongly that it was so representative of so many more things than just what you're seeing on the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and of course more like there's more to it than did like just I mean I think any woman who reads it can understand sort of the weird moments of humiliation and sort of just you know not to get too into the psychology of it but like the microaggressions and the, yeah. the subtle manipulations exactly the on both and like from both characters too on or exactly yeah. yeah and the isolation like the, the yeah. funny thing that i i knew people would point out and has happened a few times somebody says i don't understand why there aren't more it's it should be a script about women and there aren't that many women in the script but the reality is a lot of women are either actually isolated and don't have good relationships with other women or they feel very isolated and just don't have contact with other women. I've gone through, like, it is in that way, it's kind of representative of the work that I've done, not in terms of industry, but in terms of contact where you're, you're kind of thrown out front and you might be the only woman in a department of, like, 100 guys and you, all of those things that happen to you are awful things. Yeah, you know. So I mean, it does in terms sound like of the, you. to just give a little bit of context to the the, the true story. Yeah, um, a lot of I can see why a lot of um, there hasn't been a ton of fiction about the true story because there isn't a ton of information about the true story, um, there, and it's it's literally four people who were found uh, in. New Hampshire, in uh, a wooded area in these metal drums. Um, two of them were unearthed in 1985, and two of them were unearthed in the year 2000, uh, because I guess they didn't bother to search the rest. I don't. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know. I, I've read police files and stuff, and I don't really understand that part of it, and I can't. I've, I tried to wrap my head around it in terms of getting that into the fictional story, but I just couldn't do it. 
Um, but it's it's a matter of and 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 after DNA testing and and trying to research these people, they all they've as far as they've gotten in identifying them is that three of the four victims they were all female. Three of the four victims were related. One was a woman between the ages of I think 19 and 26, and the children were ranged in age from two to 10. Yeah. Um, and and it's yeah. all like it's awful, and yeah. I don't want to think about those things. I don't want to write about those things. But it just want. hooked you, didn't it? It did. It, it was just a case of like this. I another thing too that I I don't know why it resonated with me so much was because again there's no firm. I mean the first two bodies were found in 1985, and they don't know how long they were there. Um, but realistically, like the youngest two kids were close in age. They were probably you know two, three, four, whatever, and they would be the same age I am. Like, we would all oh, be gotcha. the same age. We would, you yeah. know, these could be people that I knew or went to school with or became friends with or yep. went to a concert with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And they just never had that opportunity. And, and that sort of thing just kept gnawing at me that no one, not that no one cared. I mean, the Boston Globe has written about the case and regional news keeps it alive. And every anniversary they talk about it and say, like, if you know anything, come forward. But, like, to have in this day and age four people who walked and talked on the earth and no one remembers them or can identify them or at least say who their name, like what their names were, who they were, where they lived or who their family is, is unconscionable to me and, and everything we can do to fix that. We should. So it, is there a feeling of pressure or importance if, if so you're taking this thing that happened and then you're building, you know, a, a, a fictional a life story? For them. Yeah, you're sort of creating. You're giving them a life. Yeah. Is <sighs> there a pressure there? Do you feel like a, a sense of responsibility? I'm so glad you asked that question because that is something that did not occur to me at all until, and thank God it didn't occur to me. I think if it occurred to me while I was writing it, I would have just melted into the floor. Yeah. But since the crazy thing is, like, I've been out there pitching it and I've been out there talking to people about it and trying to convince people, like, you know, give me some money so we can figure out a way to make this. Because, and and it, it only really hit me... I don't know, like a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe a month ago, where I had like a, I, it was, I can't even remember what motivated it anymore. It was like something to do with producer, something to do with a um, production thing or something. I can't even remember. And I was like, oh my God, what if I'm trying to do this and I fail? Like the fact that it got written at all is, is insane looking back on it personally, but not getting getting it this far and then not being able to get it because the fact that it's written is not like most scripts every other script I've written every other thing in my life that I've written like I've you know worked on massive projects and ads and stuff and I have the copy in my hand I look at it I go I'm happy with this it lives on the page if it sits in a drawer for the rest of my life I couldn't be happier hello drawer hello script (laughs) let's move on this is the first time where I've been like crushed a little bit at the thought that I might not be able to push it over the hill that it needs to be over because the whole point of this existing is that and I I think part of it too I went to a film festival where I had to pitch it and I I got really emotional I didn't know why because I was sort of like no I'm over this I wrote this like months ago I'm I'm fine everything's fine and then I'm like I must be jet lagged because I'm crying in front of these hundred people this is embarrassing and then realizing that, like, oh, my gosh, this, it's because it matters to me that, that this 
because someone came up to me right afterward and said, like, you could actually help figure out who these people are. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I don't think that occurred to me until right now, and now this is all I'm going to think about. Yeah. So I, I really want I really want it out in the world to do the good that it can do. Like, the things like, um, like uh, I think Moonlight was a good example for me that I watched it and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a lovely like lovely is the wrong word but like it's it's a meaningful film it's a good film i'm glad it exists but for some people it blew their minds wide open because that perspective and that reality did not exist for them until they saw that film Mm. and to have this film kind of operate on two levels which is essentially the literal people that are in it like we need y'all to go out and figure out who those people are which is i think to me is priority one, but to other people obviously won't be. But it also has that perspective of telling a story that like, not to drag on anybody, but like Hollywood doesn't tell it, like mainstream media doesn't tell it, like we don't spend enough time talking about people who, we don't spend enough time talking about women, we don't spend enough time talking about their issues, we don't spend enough time talking about domestic violence, we don't spend enough time with people who need who need their stories given a little bit of light and a little bit of air, and especially in terms of, like, what women face every day. Well, specifically, this perspective, too, which I think um, we're going to move into reading the scene selection because there's there's some really there's some really subtle lines in here that yeah. I think do, do a great job of sharing this perspective that if it hasn't been a part of somebody's life before, they just m- may never have been exposed to it at all. So... Um, listeners, we are going to go ahead and we're going to read uh, a piece from the script today. Uh, Aaron's going to do our action headings and any of the action. Jack is going to play Bear, and I'm going to play the character of Mary. And we want to set this script, you know, we want to set this scene up before we get into it. So, yeah. Aaron, do you want to um, talk a little bit about kind of what's happening right before this scene that we're going to read? Sure. Um, so the setup to the scene is basically... Um, the, the scenes, the important thing, I guess, you have to know when you're reading a bit of it is that the, the film takes place kind of out of order and it doesn't become obvious, I think, until you're a bit of the way into it, that it's actually running in complete reverse. It just seems like it's sort of like you're getting glimpses at things. So the scene that happens directly before this is, um, is the first time we meet Bear, who is, um, we we're in a restaurant we see marion sort of uh the situation walking into the restaurant there's cops there bears getting arrested um everybody else is sort of getting filtered out and she's trying to just blend into the wallpaper Mm -hmm. because obviously something worse than that for her is going on and this is the first time um this particular scene is the first time we see them in any state of sort of domesticity and again you're not aware of it at the time that it happens in terms of the running time of the script, but this is the very end of their relationship. This is sort of the last meaningful contact they have with each other. Yeah. Um, and it sort of was a way for me to bring their story sort of full circle without the audience even being aware of it, because like you think you're sort of watching the very beginning of something go bad, but it's you're really seeing sort of the end of it. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, Aaron, whenever you're ready, you can start us off. Okay. Um, interior. In, oh gosh. 
I've Jeez, it up. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> Goodbye, oh, Aaron. <laughs> Click. <laughs> no, that's okay. We need that laugh because this is a heavy, heavy. Yeah, yeah it, it is very heavy. <laughs> so, like, and and thankfully, you guys picked a selection where it's it's just sort of intense relationship stuff and nothing not too bad. Beating people or throwing children against right. walls and yeah, stuff. Yeah, which, which is yeah, which happens. Those are not okay. good. Those are not good parts in anything. Um, okay, so interior rental house, living room, the previous night. In the house now, everything is neat, tidy, and in its place. The house looks lived in. The silence is broken by loud stomping through the room. You're going to wake the girls. Bear trails through the house just behind Mary. She is the one doing all the stomping, though neither face looks happy. Baby, come on. Bear, exasperated, finally catches Mary by the wrist. You don't understand. She pulls away hard, voice low, quivering. No, you don't understand. We're supposed to have a life together, and most of the time... He grabs both wrists this time, holds tight. Hey, hey, look at me. She does. I'm not doing any of this because it's easy. I'm doing it for you, for us. His eyes stay locked with hers. It hurts to be away from you. Mary glares back at him, a hint of defiance. She squirms, but he's not letting go of her. Yeah, it hurts you. You are hurt. Do you ever worry about me? About the girls? About what happens in our house when you just disappear? I only do any of this because of you, to help. None of it's meant... I'm not trying to hurt you. Mary finally pulls out of Bear's grip, rubbing her wrist. No? I honestly think you're trying to break my heart. Bear shakes his head. Some of this stuff... You know I don't want to get you involved. Well, the stuff that goes on here, in this house, that we share, I want you. I need you involved in that. All of that stuff. You know I'm trying. Mary's eyes fill with tears of frustration as she pokes Bear square in the chest. Stop trying. Just be here. Show up. Let's change what's been happening. Bear hangs his head as her pointed finger softens to a gentle hand on his chest. There are people, actual, real, living and breathing people who love you, who want you involved in their lives. People that need you. And love you here. Right here. She taps on his chest harder. He looks up at her, putting an arm against the wall on either side of her head. Baby, I love you so damn much. You gotta know I'm doing all this for you. Saying that is not enough. Show me. Show us what that means. Start by staying home for once. His head bobs down again. Not tonight. You know I can't. Mary pushes back on his chest. I want all of you. I need all of you here. Or this isn't worth it. Silence until a car horn sounds outside. Bear steps back, grabbing an overstuffed black duffel bag. I'm working on it. You know I am. I will be here. I promise. You gotta trust me to do right by my family. You trust me. It's a statement, not a question. And with that, Bear disappears out the door. And scene. Yay. Yeah, Thanks, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys read that so perfectly. That's oh, amazing. Thank and, you. And I have to say, just a quick... BFA and acting, aside. Allison West over here. <laughs> <laughs> a quick aside about that particular scene. Mm-hmm. That scene, strangely enough, was the scene that finally motivated me to write the whole script. Ugh. A friend of mine had asked me for um, a two-hander to do like an audition scene with. She's like, just write me something. And I was oh, like, okay. ah, Sure. And I dashed off. It was a lot longer than this. This is a much more truncated version of what I wrote for her. But I was like, oh, my God, I 
am I writing this movie subconsciously without even, because I definitely. Of course you are. <laughs> I'm sorry, but of course you are. Exactly. And I, I just sort of sat with it and was like, oh, okay, I already know how the, I have the kind of a, a progression of events. So let's just throw this in there and yeah. see how it goes. Buh. Yeah, these interviews always go by so fast when they're good. We still have a bit of time left, but I know we're about to jump into some of the technical elements. Yeah. But I wanted to say that this script, ugh, this is like real talk script shop. You guys okay. ready? Okay. <laughs> Sit down, everybody. Yeah, no, seriously. This is like the time we started talking about my dead sister on the show. Right, okay? that came out of nowhere. So here we go. Yeah. So I was in an abusive relationship for a while, and it happens in a way that you never, you do not see it coming. You don't. Like, you can be perfectly nice happy person but you like for me I believed in love and I didn't know anybody would ever treat me this way and so over time the manipulation I got from this person saying that they were only doing what they were doing for me and because they loved me and wanted to take care of me I had faith in that kind of goodness and it didn't exist for this person so in this scene that we have here the way that she's dealing with him is so so personal for me Because she is telling him, like, this is the last straw. She has been pushed around enough that this is the last straw. But she can't just come at him full, full like, she can't be aggressive with him because that's not going to get her anywhere. She's right. having to, like, make her point, make this stop in the most gentle, delicate way that she possibly can reach him. And the way that you do, like, bring that perspective to life in the scene and then also going backwards so you understand what it ha- what what has happened that's gotten us to this is is in, in, on point for what these situations can be yeah. at times wow let's talk that- about um <laughs> now that i just threw that out there let's move <laughs> on from it take that one to see my therapist with <laughs> um but you know like we talk about going backwards in the script and i want to talk about why you specifically wanted to write this script in reverse what what is it about that that worked for the story and works for you um just in terms of because i started out with so many unknowns and well there's Hmm. there's really two things one thing is that i again going back to my own personal ridiculousness i i love structure i love to make structure as as weird and complex as, as you can keep it readable and still have it be something that is something you haven't seen before. Um, in terms of how that connects to this actual story, the thing that I realized with a very lead-filled heart at the beginning when I did start kind of messing around with the, uh, the elements um, was that it would be a very hard moment to sit through, like to... I, I had a hard time asking people to sit for 90 minutes and watch a relationship get worse and worse and oh, worse. And that's worse. a good call. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and, and with no, because the thing is, you don't get that nice relief. Like, Chris Evans doesn't come in at the end and be like, hey, baby, I got you. Right. And then, you know, like, if there was some way I could have done that and been faithful to the actual resolution of the story, I, I would have have done it in a heartbeat but there was no way for me to 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 give any breath out at the end of the story wow so i knew i knew starting it that it had to to end and begin in the exact same place um in both physically and emotionally and geographically and um and i knew that in between people were going to need 
I shouldn't say people. Like, I wasn't thinking necessarily about the reader. Like, in, like, I don't know if I was thinking about myself or about, like, a potential audience or whatever, but the story, let's say, was going to need to still be a story. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like a lot of... Because oh, it, domestic violence in general and, and other forms of abuse end up being very one note and a lot of things. They're people's backstories. They're people... They're moments. They're, like, yeah. you know, the fact that, that so many moments of, of sexual assault and various things are used as sort of like one note backstories for so many female characters in, in film, especially, um, was something that I wanted. It, it was something that I hadn't seen play out longer than that. Right. And like it was the actual like, story. No. And, and I don't mean play out in terms of like a something flip, but like, being able to sort of stretch it over the course of a narrative and say, like, this is actually what happened. And I know there's some great movies that, that do deal with sort of assaults and aftermaths and relationships and this and that, and I'm not diminishing any of those at all. But it was the case of if you start with a mystery and you're going to keep still end with that same mystery, what is the tension in between right. that people need to... What tension plus information, what has to be spread out there? and And so... I just like the combination of those things. I just was like, and and it was it did come down to sort of that relationship with with the core relationship with Bear and Mary that mm-hmm. I love. The funny thing was, I really liked like Bear as a character. I don't like one dimensional characters in anything, and even someone who is abusive. I had a discussion on Twitter today with someone uh, about how there's no such thing as a hundred percent villain. Like there are horrible people who do horrible things, but. You know, aside from a guy twisting a mustache on the side of a railroad track, um, nobody is all bad all the time. And Bear, as a character, as a person, his potential, all the things I liked about him, I didn't want people to kind of just see, like, their relationship is like this, and he is bad, and she is needs better, and she's a victim, and he's Well, he's flawed. Abuser. You know, yeah. they're flawed. Exactly. They both bring sort of their own emotional baggage into this, and... We need to be able to see, like, I'm not both sidesing it because that's not what we do these days. No, I get it. Um, but it's a case of, like, there are two, like, there are human beings involved. And, and, and he starts out, I think you get to the point where you realize he did start out meaning well. But his idea of meaning well is horrifically abusive it's out of tune from the very yeah. beginning yeah. right yes yeah. her awareness of that is just non-existent like her life and the reason why the the thing and that was another thing another element that i i didn't mean to sort of put into the script but the math just kind of hit me at a certain point that if like it's never been proven if these people are related like they're the the real case if they are yeah. mother and children they are definitely related, three of the people, but not, they could be sisters, which is unlikely, but they could be cousins, they could be other things, because the, the DNA evidence is not hugely there. But they are related in some way. And it's occurred to me, though, that if the, the, the oldest the mother could be would be 25, and the youngest the oldest child could be would be 10. Right. If a 25-year-old woman has a 10-year-old child, something bad happened. Yeah. You know, like just that horrible gnawing feeling that like that is not okay. Right. And and someone who doesn't know that that's okay at 15 and no one steps in and says like that's why her, her parent, like her father's non-existent, 
her mother is distant and, yeah. and no one steps in and says to her, they get mad at her instead of saying, hey, this whole situation is bad. We need to get you out of it. We need to get you help. And it's just being able to see the perpetuation. I felt like the, also the perpetuation of violence and the escalation of it was much clearer when you saw it de-escalate, if that makes any sense. Um, like having to see it sort of at its apex and, and see it sort of fall away in front of you, I think it looks it looks different. It looks more, you know, it, it seems to make it more not understandable, but like able to to process it. Yeah. Well, and I think it sets up a way to see, like, as if you are starting, say, at the worst, and then as the story goes on, it's backing off and backing off and backing off. You can sort of see, because it's just beginning, you're going backwards in time, you can maybe see little I guess warning Hope. signs or, or yeah. just, oh, well, this is going to flow into this, and you and you've already know it's getting bad, and then having it uh, the crescendo downward, whatever the, op- a day crescendo if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you can we set will. up warning signs. Yeah. Thank you, I wish you would. Yeah. The, one of the things that I thought was really interesting with the way that you built the story backwards it does set up an interesting rhythm as far as the tone goes, where it starts out where things are really bleak and, and, and not good, with a capital not good. And then things, as time goes backwards and you're seeing things getting a little bit better, to be more nice and innocent, and then by the end, things are very awful and bleak again. Yeah. Right. And, and some of that, I think, I, one thing, honestly, that I do realize very vehemently is that React. I've I've heard so many reactions to people um, in in two people in bad relationships. Someone saying, "Why didn't you just leave?" Yeah. And the reality is, like, I wanted something that sort of spoke to that crowd for sure. Because the the reality of like, why didn't you do something to correct this person's behavior? Why didn't you leaving doesn't stop this person. You know what I mean? Like all of these weird rationalizations that people make not knowing what that situation is like. Right. Um, I, I, it really came out to me as I, I finished sort of that initial draft of it being structured backwards is that there were always these, these moments of hope. Right. Um, and these moments of you're like, well, he's not like, I found myself saying it a lot. Like he's not a, like, it's terrible, but he's like saying about bear. Like, he's not a bad guy. Even saying about Parker, and Parker's a bad guy. Like, yeah. he's not a bad guy. Well, and also when you're isolated, too, like, it's easier for you to believe the story that you're living when you don't have feedback from a support system or feedback from people who love you and care about you. All of a sudden, you find yourself in the middle of a flooded condo with a warped door not knowing what to do with yourself. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly it. You You end up sort of... And and I'm lucky. I mean, I have to say for myself, I am so lucky that I have. I'm close with my parents, and I I have a great family support system. And the the weird challenges that I've faced and the moments where I've been in real trouble, there's always been someone there to absolutely one thousand percent back me up. And without that, like we wouldn't be having this conversation. So like, I really wanted to to speak to the fact that not every person is that fortunate because it is about it's total luck of the draw like you don't get to pick your parents sometimes you don't get to pick your friends you don't get to pick your siblings you don't get to pick you know your support system often sometimes you count on people who let you down and and this is a case of you can be isolated and alone and have a series of decisions steer your life in a way that you maybe weren't expecting 
and sometimes that's a great thing and sometimes it can be devastating. Well, speaking of the relationships too, let's talk a little bit about one of the hopeful relationships in this story, which is the mother, the, let's just say the theme of mothers to daughters. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have the three daughters to their mother, Mary, and then we have Mary to her mother as well. Um, mm-hmm. What do you, how do you feel about those relationships? I felt like it was really important to have, that was, the whole thing to me is based around mother-daughter relationships. And I wanted to um, really speak to the fact that you're, I mean, again, just from my personal perspective, my mom has saved me from a lot of terrible things. And without her support, I I can't say that I wouldn't be in this situation. And or in some worse situation or some other, you know, have some other crazy thing happen um, or some thing that happened that I didn't intend that got compounded because she didn't step in and was at least emotionally supportive for. And I wanted to sort of show layers of, of those relationships and how, um, how your mother as your support structure, if you can rely on her, great. If you can't, your mountain to climb is much higher. Like, I, I feel like I've talked to a lot of people whose mothers have either, like many of my friends, their mothers have either passed away quite young or they aren't in contact with their family for whatever reason or whatever. And their challenges, just in terms of, like, emotional well-being in the world, seem so much greater than mine. And, and the friends that I have and the people that I know whose mothers are, are very present and very involved. Um, and that was something that I, I wanted sort of every layer of family interaction kind of in there where, like, you see the moment that Mary's mother fails her, and you yeah. see Mary very actively not wanting to do that with her own children but not having the tools to. Right. And, and how that constant collision of attempted mother-daughter help um, is, is all very well-meaning. But it seems like everyone in the situation just doesn't have the the wherewithal to to recognize what's actually going on. There's a ton of subtext in the scene when Mary has taken the girls and she's with her mom, and the girls are in the kitchen getting ready to make cookies or whatever. And you know, I think the mom's name is Celeste, if I'm not wrong. Mom yes. wants to. Mom's a little bit better at being a grandma than she is when she was a mom, which I think is that I don't think that's too terribly uncommon because, you you know, nobody really knows what they're doing. And you're just trying to do the best you can as time goes on. But, geez, some of the exchanges that Mary has with her mom and while the girls are in the kitchen there, there's a ton of subtext in that scene. Yeah. And I, I felt like I wanted, again, in the same way that, like, I wanted Mary and Bear to at least have a moment where you see the full functioning range of their relationship in a, a little bit of a microcosm. I wanted that moment for, for Mary and Celeste because, so again, not not to be awful to, to other filmmakers sometimes, but a lot of times women are reduced to sort of, oh, it's her, or I have a horrible mother-in-law, or I have a horrible mother, or the, our relationship is very this way because this character functions in this role and this character functions in that role. And I wanted the two of them to sort of share uh, a moment um, where you actually did see that, like, neither th- that they are um, at some form of peace with each other, and neither of them really blames each other, but they 
also kind of have never been truly comfortable with each other. Like yeah. in my head, it's not explicitly stated sort of anywhere, but um, Celeste is fairly young, I think, and I, in my head she gave birth to um, Mary quite young mm-hmm. and doesn't kind of see the damage that's kind of been perpetuated. Yeah. Like they maybe were a little bit more like well-off financially that didn't get kind of get passed on or hasn't been passed on um, yet, but the, the that perpetuation of sort of like fear and lack of their sort of good communication, um, like meaningful communication, I guess is what yeah. I mean. That you you see them them talking, and they're they're kind of they're not really neither one of them is saying what they want to say. Which I'm glad the subtext comes through because they're they're both they you kind of see them getting along on the surface, but they really don't have they get along but they don't have a connection i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah so aaron this very much seems like it's a quite the passion project of yours and you're very invested in it i think and with not just time but i mean clearly emotionally and on a lot of different levels where i mean you're you're are, are is this being shopped around obviously you'd like to get this made uh where are things at right now um, I am kind of all over the place a little bit. It's it's interesting in Canada because the I mean the structures to make films are different. I'm not 100% sure if I could get it made here just the, like it's setting and I mean the we can I'd love to shoot it here. I'd love to shoot it in Canada. It's, it's I mean the setting's exactly the same but neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, everything's still at a very preliminary stage. I've I've had some discussions with some uh, some folks uh, on varying levels. I'm I'm really trying to figure out like my own my goal for the last couple of years has been to kind of get representation and get out there and and make sure that like I'm kind of in the mix a little bit more than I have been because I've kind of been writing and putting stuff out and putting it in a drawer and I've been through that cycle a few times now and and I'm I'm wanting to get to the point where like I'm writing and it's out there and it kind of stays out there and and gives people sort of a little bit more food for thought. So um I'm I'm really at I guess shopping for the uh, producer stage. Again, I don't know if it's going to be Canadian or US. I'm it's going into some sort of genre incubators and different places where hopefully people will um get a little bit more of a sense of what kind of project it is and and you know just trying to find every avenue because I'm not like my background is very 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 writing based and all of the movie making stuff I mean I've made I've shot some stuff I've made some short films I've I've tried to get really into that kind of slowly and and I I like it and I enjoy it but the the whole business part of it is I'm not I'm not <laughs> acing that part of it yet. Yeah. So well, I, that's the I tough part. Trying yeah, yeah, that is that's I mean for me at least I mean I've read a lot of scripts where the writing seems to be the hard part. <laughs> um but I am really in I the writing part for me is is really joyful and fairly, you know, straightforward and and the the business part of it right now is stymieing me a little bit, but I'm I'm trying to push to find a producer who can kind of yeah. take it someplace where they think it belongs. Well, we're happy to do all that we can to get you in touch with anybody that might be interested yeah, in sure. your script. So if somebody is interested in getting a hold of you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Um, let's see. I'm I Twitter's a good way to get in touch with me. What's your tweet uh, name? I am at EC1979. 
Oh. My actual real name is taken by another writer with my name. <gasps> like, it's really her name. I can't just go in and be like, I'm yeah, the real, because she also is. Yeah, that sounds, re- that sounds rude. I- I'm not, I don't like that, Erin. <laughs> that, that's your name. I know. I was going to, like, rage, and then I was like, oh, she's a real person. Never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, Somebody's just randomly name. taking people's real names and making Twitter right. accounts out of They're them. They're cyber-squatting, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But she's, she writes, like tabloid journalism i don't want to be mean i don't mean mean by tabloid i think that means something different over there mm-hmm. in the uk um which is that's so she has my full name and so i'm just that um but yeah so twitter's a good thing um my email address is on the script um you can yeah. anybody can you can get it online scriptshopshow.com slash scripts <laughs> thank you um, that's great. So if, if uh, listeners, this sounds like something, there is a lot in this script. There is. There's we, a we ton. We get a lot to unpack. You can't even, but we can, you can continue this conversation by reading the script yeah. and tweeting at Aaron or tweeting at Script Shop Jack or Script Shop Show, mm-hmm. where we can continue to talk through the themes of this script because there's tons of stuff. There's like people getting lost in the system. There's the role, yeah. there's the role of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. There's more mother to son stuff. Oh, gosh, that's right. I forgot about the whole thing that the police officer has with his mom. <laughs> All kinds of things. So, yeah, uh, And funnily enough, there's actually another um, – I was working on a, another draft that someone sort of suggested where the, the police officer story, the character changes completely. So Parker becomes like a background story, and I pull another character up front. So, like, there's a whole – Another level of this, so oh. crazy. Yeah, that's what I love about writers and their minds. They go deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I really do appreciate it, and, you, and just your thoughts on stuff. And I mean, there's a lot of thought that was put into this because nobody else, nobody knows anything, right? Yeah. It required a lot of sort of mental yeah. gymnastics, and I'm not yeah. saying I did well, the, the best job, but. I'm I'm so glad it's out there, and I'm so glad you guys invited me on to talk about it. It's it's just good to to get the word out. Yeah, well, we're happy Our to. Pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Thank talk you. to you later, Aaron. Okay, take care. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, that script is involved. It really it's, is. It's 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 <sighs> levels on levels of pain, and not just physical yeah, pain. Yeah, I think it was smart of her to do this whole like mm-hmm. backwards thing when she's like, "Well, how do you?" There is no be- there's no resolution yeah. to this tale. What do you do with that? And, and go like, well, even if the story itself has no factual resolution, there's a lot of content here yeah. that she wanted to share. That's kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I guess. Better wrap it up. Huh? Yeah, I guess. It's, so if you're interested in, in <laughs> we still want to talk about the script, obviously. So if you do want to talk about the script, listeners, please get online. Yeah, check us out. Hit us up. Read Aaron's script and then tweet at us. I'm at your bestie Westie. And I'm Script Shop Jack on uh, Twitter. Yep. You can also look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and of course Twitter. We're Squ- Script Shop Show on all of those things officially. Mm-hmm. Although how official our Twitter account is, account is like debatable sometimes. What do you mean? Well, I almost reposted that dinosaur picture of you <laughs> well, today we can do that. you know that was so, a fun picture so we'll put that up when we're airing this episode <laughs> i like i like we've got this sense of rhythm amongst us where there's a funny conversation in the beginning and then we get into some stuff and now uh, we're referencing dinosaur costumes it's like again. we're professionals or I, something it's almost like we're we know what we're doing professionals over here <laughs> you know what i am i am yeah Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, y'all. Please uh, hit us up uh, on iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. That would be cool. We love those things. They help us reach new screenwriters. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, that's that's it, it, right? We're good. Yeah. yeah love you guys. Check until <laughs> next, next week, time. That's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West.
Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.